what up and welcome to under the great lakes podcast i'm here with gabe and ben how are you guys doing today how are you guys feeling right now i'm feeling i'm feeling i think we're all feeling a little tired today we did this a little early but we're here today to talk about three movies 3 p.m we all got up early and we were ready but we just kind of messed around trying yeah. to get recording so we're talking about sound of metal minari and another round today we're going to probably jump over another round kind of quickly and dive mostly into Minari today. Only because we have so many. We only have just good things to say about another round. Like, I don't have any negatives, really. It's just one of those movies where there's not too much to say about it, but we're all kind of in agreement of what we have to say. Before we get to that, Benjamin, you got uh, any news over there? Oh, boy, do I have a little bit, yeah. Not, not too much, because we had a bunch last time for our whole, like, fucking December episode, but... HBO Max just dropped a little teaser today showcasing all their movies that are supposedly still releasing on HBO Max same day as in theaters, wherever theaters are open. Uh, Dune was still on there, you were saying too, which is not great news. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong is also not only on there, but I don't know if you guys heard this, it just got pushed up from a May release to a March. So in a world where literally everything else is still getting pushed back, like No Time to Die just got pushed back from April to sometime in the fall. They fucking move up Godzilla vs. Kong to March 26th. Sorry to interrupt quickly. When Wonder Woman came out, they said it was because, like, this movie had a shelf life. It's like, that's never something you want to say about your own movie. (laughs) It's like, we need to put it out now or it's going to get stale. It's like, I wonder if that's their mentality. It's like, we need to ride the hype of this movie, get it out. I would say for Wonder Woman, at least, they had the unfortunate timing of, like, having all their like massive marketing push right before COVID where like, I don't know how many bags of Doritos I ate with Wonder Woman on it, but it was too many. (laughs) And like in America, it's probably way bigger. I know they had like her on Mountain Dew and like a bunch of different drinks and snacks and stuff. And then the trailers were everywhere. The posters had been everywhere for so long. So for that one, I don't know if it was like the shelf life of the film or the film because of the marketing push, you know? Because like No Time to Die is also one that's had a huge marketing push, but like they don't, I don't see James Bond's face on bags of chips and the drinks that I'm buying from Circle K and stuff like that, you know? People always care about James Bond anyways. I'm going to Google. I feel like Gillette's probably done something with James Bond before. I think they're more like car stuff. They yeah. Do yeah, they have. <laughs> Anything man. Gillette. Cars. Exactly. It's that kind of marketing, you know? Watches. But if you feel like Swiss watches, you'd find a James Bond ad with Swiss watch. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like, I don't understand how Godzilla vs. Kong is out in just over two months. We haven't had a single trailer yet. This is, like, the best look we've had at it yet. And it was, like, five seconds of Godzilla coming up from the ground and tackling Kong. I still need to watch that new Godzilla movie. I don't know how much it's really going to matter, but... It might. The post credit scene definitely feels like it's setting up something for the movie, but it probably doesn't matter. Oh, wait, Adam Wingard's doing it? Yeah. Count me out. Yeah, I kind of wish it was... Michael Daugherty, but whatever. It's just there's nothing like continuing in this series. Like it's always a different director, always a different, different cast. Actors. Yeah, yeah. The only like person who's ever gone from one film to another, I think, was uh, Ken Watanabe from Godzilla to Godzilla King of the Monsters. But then he's not going to be in Godzilla vs Kong. Yeah, I don't, know. I don't know the series too much, but what else we got here? Also, speaking of movies that are coming out, this isn't news. This is actually like old old news but every time i talk about it to someone they have no idea this is a thing so i want to claim this as news 
Every time I say it, it is. But did you guys know? I think I might have been talking to you guys about it, but there's also a Bob's Burgers movie that comes out in like three months. And there hasn't been a single poster. Like, there's nothing. No one has it. There's not a synopsis. There's not a trailer. There's not a poster. Like, no one has any idea. And it's just dropping in April. Yeah, I've heard of it, but yeah, I don't really know. Like you said, anything about it. I don't even really watch the show that much. Yeah, I just started watching it because I was like, oh, fuck, the movie's coming out soon. So maybe I'll start watching it. Like, it's really funny. It's not like an amazing show or anything, but it's solid. It's fun family time. It's just weird that, like, that movie was supposed to come out last July. And there's still, even back then, there was nothing. A lot of, like, just crazy movie drops now. Apparently, Charlie Cox was spotted on the Spider-Man 3 set, which kind of further confirms his involvement in that movie. Also, he's reportedly already finished filming, too. So, that's exciting, though. I think that's one of the more, like, unexpected characters that are going to be in that one. <laughs> this movie is just, like, so stacked. I don't understand. It better be, like, like it's, four It's equal to, like, the Avengers, but just in the Spider-Man universe. It's definitely too big. It's already gotten out of control. Kevin Feige did recently say that, like, some of the rumors are true, some of them are false. So hopefully, like, they're not all true. Let's segue that into uh, WandaVision came out. We're not really going to talk too much about it, but me and Ben both saw the first two episodes. I thought the first one was pretty good. I thought the second one was pretty great. There's not, like, too much to say about it right now. It's just kind of all a mystery, but I'm liking it for what it is. It has its own like style that's distinct from the rest of the MCU, which is really bold and which I really like, you know? Yeah, I have a lot of friends that like have seen every single MCU film that don't really have an interest in this, surprisingly, or don't even really know what it is until I explained it to them. It's like, this is the most interesting one, like in years, I feel like. Like you got like Endgame and stuff like that, which is like the big event movies, but I feel like single movies and single like stories, I haven't really been that interested since. Guardians? Yeah, Guardians maybe. Six years it's been ago. a while since we got Marvel content anyway, so I'm sure people are happy regardless. It was a nice break. I'm glad they came back with something that's a different direction entirely than what people were expecting. Like they, they were already kind of planning on a decent break, but I'm glad that we got almost two years instead of just the one. I do wish we didn't get far from home instead, but I just feel like Endgame would have been a really good place to take that break. But now that so much time has passed, I'm kind of okay with Far From Home being the last one, because I wouldn't want Far From Home to have started Phase 4. Yeah, but maybe we should have just scrapped Far From Home. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I hate Far From Home. Ethan Hawke's going to be the villain in Moon Knight. I know Jacob loves Ethan Hawke, so... This is a whole story. We can't explain this. I like Ethan Hawke, though. Ethan Hawke's great. The story has nothing to do with Ethan Hawke. It has to do with Chris D'Elia. Is that why you're saying that? But you also love Chris D'Elia, don't you? Now I have to explain this story. One time, Chris D'Elia made a, a tweet saying, it was like a bunch of photos of like Trump support, or it was like an angry mob or something like that. Or, no, yeah, it was Trump supporters. And he said, they look like uh, the people trying to kill Ethan Hawke's family in The Purge too." So I tweeted back at him, Ethan, because I, I didn't even follow him or anything. I just saw like this post going around years ago. He made this tweet like four years ago. And so I tweeted back at him, um, Ethan Hawke wasn't in The Purge too. you fucking idiot. <laughs> And he got, like, really, I don't know, the way he replied back just seemed like he was kind of being, like, standoffish. And he didn't, he couldn't tell that I was being a dick. Or I was being, like, I was joking around. Like, obviously, if you misread your tweet, not as a joke, it would sound no, like. No, I know. I said, I said, uh, Ethan Hawke was in The Purge too. Go to IMDb, you fucking idiot. And that's what I said. Go to IMDb. And he's like, yeah, well, whatever, nerd. So I just commented back. I was just like, oh, I just baited you into a response. 
And he's like, well, now you're blocked. And then that was it. Yeah, he fucking But then a bunch of people started... Then people started tweeting at him. Ethan Hawke was in the purge, too. Caught on a little bit. But you're fucking up now. He's in the first purge. Sorry, that's what they were saying. Like, they were tweeting at him. Ethan Hawke was in the first purge. The story was so long. I don't care about the purge movies. I don't care about fucking Crystalia. You had to bring the story up, so now I had to explain it. It's just funny that, like, you hated Crystalia so much after that. No, I just... After that, I was like, wow, he, he can't really take a joke. Like, it, I, I forget exactly what he replied back. But I remember him being very butthurt. Like, what kind of stand-up comedian can't take a joke like that? Yeah, it was like, I'm obviously just being rude, like, on purpose, just joking around. Anyway, what else we got here? Uh, apparently, Liam Neeson said today that he is going to retire from acting after this year. And he'll come back and do Taken 4, 5, 6, and every other movie he does help. that's basically, like, Taken, or he has the same recycled lines. Take any actor's statement about retiring with a grain of salt. Took took a big role for Pesci to come back. But he did. Yeah, I just mean, like, usually when actors say they're retiring, it's something massive needs to come my way, and then maybe I'll come back. Yeah, that would suck. I love Liam. I think, didn't he just say that he'd be down to come back as Qui-Gon, too? Yeah, he yeah. did, actually. I did read that. <laughs> He's like, I'm retiring acting, but if they want me as Qui-Gon, more than willing to revisit that character. Why? Because he's sick. We love Qui-Gon. Apparently, rumors are swirling that uh, Michael B. Jordan might be stepping back into Black Panther 2. We've heard this one before, but it makes sense if, you know, with everything going on. How? What does this make? What happens then in this situation, though? It makes sense from a business point of view. From a writing standpoint, I mean, what what can they do? I mean, I don't know, just some sort of Wakandan herb brings him back. They cook up some, they spice some herbs up. And- okay, I don't want to say this because it's so dark, but like, I'm assuming in the next movie, Chadwick Boseman's character, T'Challa's going to die. And someone's going to need to take up the mantle. And that's going to be a big part of the movie. Because you can't just write around it. But do you think he's just dead right now? I don't know. Do, you th- do they film anything? No. No? Okay. Then I could kind of see them, like, yeah, like, writing it off screen. But, like, how can you bring a character back to life when it's like, oh, well, this character died, though? Like, you need to kind of excuse that as well. Why you can't bring back T'Challa, but you can bring back Michael B. Jordan. He retires. They CGI him and retire him. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous just to see how this is handled, because I think Ryan Coogler can handle it, like... He's gonna to try to do the best he can. It's gonna be graceful, hopefully. But they're gonna they're gonna Paul Walker send him off. It's a weird situation. Well, no, they've said they don't want to CGI him into it at all. I think Black Panther two is gonna be like it's gonna be the biggest Marvel movie they have next, or probably ever actually. Just as a tribute to him. Ever? You think it's gonna make three billion dollars? Highest grossing movie of all time. Hey, I wouldn't put it like how much like Black Panther did that alone almost like. Being one of Marvel's biggest movies, didn't it? Yeah, but it hasn't even made half of what Endgame made. I can still see it. It was huge. Don't get me wrong; it's a huge film, but I couldn't see it making anything more than like one point six. A big portion of Black Panther two reportedly takes place underwater. Yeah, it's like an Avatar uh, crossover. Was it Avatar three? Did they go underwater? We've been hearing rumors for a long time now that Marvel Cinematic Universe's Black Panther two could be poised to introduce Atlantis into the mix. With the latest report claiming, or report, eh, latest report claiming that a huge amount of Ryan Coogler's upcoming sequel takes place within the Hidden Kingdom and thus underwater. What's uh, that David? What's not David Chase? David Russell? David O. Russell. David O. Russell movie. Yeah. I didn't even put that in here. Yeah, Robert De Niro, Chris Rock, 
uh, Michael Shannon, Mike Myers, Timmy the Elephant, and Anya Taylor-Joy join a movie that already has Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Rami Malek, and Zoe Saldana. It's fucking insane. You say Christian Bale? Yeah. That's one of the most stacked cats I've ever seen. Pretty exciting. Actually pretty gross. I've become like a big fan of Michael Shannon too over the last few years. So like anything he does, like I'm just so happy to see him in anything. Yeah, there's like a lot of like my favorite actors in there. Even like, you know, Mike Myers doesn't do really many great things anymore. But just as a Canadian, you know, I have a, a soft spot for him, even though he does a lot of shitty movies. But the love guru is sick. Well, like, so I married an axe murder is pretty great, you know, Wayne's World. I know people hate Austin Powers, but as a kid, I thought those were hilarious. Austin Powers is great. I'm still waiting on Austin Powers 4. All right, so we got the Captain America not news that he's in, like, early slash. I've heard of reports that it's early talks, reports that it's final negotiations, that Chris Evans is going to sign back up, but then he tweeted out that it's news to him. Like, obviously, he would do that regardless to try to cover it up, but I don't know. I'm hoping it's not true because I don't want Cap back right now. I feel like I respect him enough as an actor that I could believe that he wouldn't do it right away. And, like, he's only been saying that. Since he left, everyone's been like, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And he's only been saying no, like, never. I don't want him to do never. I'd be down for him to do, like, I think we talked about this, like, 10 years down the line, do, like, if they ever did Secret Wars, they could bring him back for that. Even, like, wait, like, five, six years from now. Like, not, like, a year or two after. But I wouldn't want it to be, like, he's back for good. I want it to be, like, one-off appearance. Yeah. No, no, no. And then, uh, I got a little bit of Star Wars news, too. So there was that rumored Rebels animated sequel series that was going to come out. Uh, there's been a lot of reports that apparently Ahsoka is just going to fill that role now instead. Like, they were already working on Ahsoka when they were planning on doing this animated series and apparently they'd already started recording for this series too not much just like a couple little lines here and there some of the voice actors from rebels and then apparently uh john favreau like asked dave filoni about just introducing all these elements into ahsoka instead so that makes sense that ahsoka would be like the rebel sequel i'm down for that i do hope they do something animated with ahsoka again because i really like the voice actors but We'll see. And then the other thing they said is, I fucking hate when studios do this shit. Or I don't think it's a confirmed report or anything like that, but apparently Mando is going to last up until at least 2027. Ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, why does anybody even... It's so frustrating when I hear things like this. It's like years back when I heard... How are you planning that far ahead? Like, you have stories planned? That's the worst thing about it, is it's not like they've planned out, like, a 10-season thing where they know everything that's going to happen and that's why they know they're just thinking financially like how long is it going to be popular for and then they pick a date and it doesn't matter like that's really disappointing to hear yeah i'd be down just for like a five season show three season show you know i don't need to go on forever but i think five would be good for this show i don't think three should end it just yet i want them to know where they're going though and have something to wrap it up especially because it feels like they're taking a break well, spoiler alert for Mandalorian right here. Feels like they're taking a break from Baby Yoda next season. So if that's the case, they want to spend like seasons three and four on more of the actual lore of Mandalore and the Mandalorian people. That's cool. And then maybe season five is the final season that reunites them. But uh, you got any more news or do you want to move on to question of the week? No, let's move on. Let's move on. Actually, do you guys... Yeah, whose question is it? 
Here's the thing. It's definitely mine, but I didn't think of anything. Oh, my God. Just shoot something. Spitball it. Shoot something. Oh, my God. All right. If you guys could have any television revival you wanted, <laughs> what would it be? Oh, my fucking... I hate tele... Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm in the Middle comes back? All right. That sounds sick. Even if it's just one episode. If it's just one episode where they all get back together, that's fine. Old Frankie Muniz? That'd be great. Brian Cranston. How would you feel about, like, an hour and a half lost movie? No, I would hate that. All about Ben and Hurley. No, you're smiling. You want that. I've told you before that I wouldn't mind, like, a lost, like, miniseries reboot. Where, like, it's just kind of its own, it's a new story of people trapped on the island. It feels totally separate, but then you start realizing that it is, like, a sequel. And, like, maybe one of them... Called something else? No, I just call it Lost. I mean, you could do that, too. That'd be fine. But it would definitely be a little obvious at the beginning. But even just things like, you know, Sawyer's daughter is out there somewhere. Maybe she goes to the island looking for him or something. I don't know. Let's write this. This sounds like... Yeah, we'll write it. We'll write it. Okay, so your choice is lost. We won't We won't finish any answer. We'll write more questions. Yeah. Piss off more fans. Just keep talking about this Lost miniseries. And Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse both said that they're down for it to continue on, but they don't want to be a part of it. They want to, like, pass on the mantle in a way. So they basically gave us permission. All right, so it's me and you. So thanks, Damon, for that one. We're going to go to NBC. Or is it ABC? I don't know. I don't, I don't even have an answer for my own question. I didn't think about this. Twin Peaks just came out. It was great. Yeah, having just watched all Twin Peaks, I do, I'd be super down for a season four. But also, I feel fully satisfied in my own way. Honestly, like, I haven't even seen Firefly, and I want a Firefly season two, just because I feel so bad for everything that happened on that show. I don't know. I feel like there's not that many shows that, like, ended that I would really want to see come back. Like, I'm watching The Sopranos right now, but, like, I don't ever want to see that get a sequel. It's getting a prequel, and that's fine. But I don't think it needs, like, a revival show or anything like that, you know? I will say one that I genuinely want that people probably roll their eyes at, which is weird because I used to be obsessed with this show. I'll just say it's Friends. I'm super down for like a Thanksgiving reunion special or something. People but like I don't, want I, that. I've really come down on Friends a lot over the last like six to eight years. Like I, I used to be one of my all-time favorite shows as a kid growing up, and now it's like in my top fifty shows maybe. Um, I've just come down on like traditional sitcoms a lot in general. There's a few that I still think are great, like Cheers, Frasier, Seinfeld. And Friends is good. I still really like Friends, but I don't love it or have the respect for it that I used to. I just think like, why haven't they though? What a wasted opportunity. And the fact that they keep like fooling people with all these fake out reunion specials. And it's so popular that you know that like it just makes so much money if they charge people for that. <laughs> like a Friends movie. They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars per year to secure the streaming rights to this series. Like, I'm pretty sure Netflix literally just dropped $100 million to keep it for 2020. And now it's... Where is it now? What did it just move to? Crave? Yeah, it's on Crave now. That's so embarrassing for NBC. Like, the NBC literally drops Peacock, its own streaming service. And they haven't been able to secure the streaming rights to their biggest show of all time. I think uh, Dexter is the only other one that, like, I would have been curious to see another season. That was a show that, like, didn't end great. And I was kind of like, if it came back for one season, that could be cool. I still have no idea what they're going to do because of the ending, but... All right, so movie. What guys, which one do you guys want to talk about first? Another Round, Minari, and the Sound of Metal. We'll go, we'll go alphabetically by name. Another Round uh, is directed by Thomas Vinterberg. 
also written by Thomas Vinterberg and Tobias Lindholm. Stars Mads Mikkelsen, Tobias Bo Larson, Magnus Milong, Lars Ranth, Maria Bonavi. Uh, it premiered at TIFF this past September, and it is about four friends, all high school teachers, test a, test a theory that they will improve their lives by maintaining a constant level of alcohol in their blood. According to the study that they read in the movie, it said that the human body can withstand keeping a 0.05% BAC level, which is the legal limit, I believe, right? Like anything after that and above, you're intoxicated? That's what, yeah. That's what it is for us. Uh, it's about them kind of testing that theory and seeing if their kind of mundane lives will improve and seeing if that was actually true. And then they slowly start to push their limits kind of more and more. Ben, you want to go ahead and let us know what you thought initially after watching another round? Right off the bat, obviously, like, I love this movie. I, it's still my favorite movie of the year, I'd say. I also just really enjoy the way that this film talks about, like, alcohol and alcoholism in a really realistic way. Because I feel like if someone was to make a movie about this, typically in the writing process, they say, like, let them have their fun really early but then immediately make it so that like it's super dark and that you can't be doing this and like let it last. And obviously, without spoilers, this movie does have a good message that obviously this isn't an okay way to live your life. But it's not like embarrassingly hitting you over the head with like, oh, you should never drink. Alcohol is bad for you. Like It's one of those movies that kind of takes a good stance on both sides where like there are good ways to have fun with alcohol. And like none of them really get out of control entirely what when they're just sticking to the 0.05 bac it's only when they kind of like go above and beyond that that things start getting out of control so it does kind of raise the question too of like could they have just kept this up or is it impossible to once you get used to it but yeah i just thought it was a really fun concept with a really great cast and it was just it's probably one of the most charming like movies i saw all year it was a blast yeah i'm i'm in like complete agreement where there's, it's so easy for movies like this that talk like handle topics like you know alcoholism for not for them to easily kind of slip into like PSA territory, and this just felt very honest and like uncompromising on its stance. Like it didn't demonize the subject and it treats it with like respect. But it's also a movie that has like a lot of humor to it. It doesn't shy away from the excitement of alcoholism at all, or not alcoholism, but of alcohol at all. And it shows like the reality of it, like how easy it is to have fun with it. And so, I don't know, it's just a very honest movie that kind of shows all sides of it. And yeah, like you're saying, I think it has a great cast. I think the way it's shot is really great. Like, it's just a lot of realism, you know. I saw people describing it and comparing it to, um, like, French New Wave, when some people brought that up to him. Because when I first watched it, like, that's the feeling I got, was, like, me and Ben watched, like, The 400 Blows. And it seems like a weird, kind of, like, comparison, but it's just, like, a simple concept taken completely realistically drawn out to the end and like i like movies that kind of just go for that kind of simplicity and say a lot with it but yeah people bring up that comparison to him and he said that he doesn't see it at all <laughs> he said he fell asleep watching all of those movies so it's like <laughs> okay well whatever <laughs> but that's kind of the feeling i got from it it's just like a modern kind of feeling of that kind of genre and i loved it i thought it was great it has a lot to say about why people slip into alcoholism how how prevalent it is in society yeah, had a lot, had a lot going for it. And probably my favorite ending of the of the whole year for sure. So good. Same agreement with you guys. Like it was great. Mads is great. To no surprise here. Like everything, the the chemistry between all the 
characters and actors in this movie was great and i feel like that's one thing that really helped it move along because like if you have a movie like this where each character is kind of working off each other as well it it could crash and burn but i feel like they cast it really well and they all work really well together and like you said jacob the ending was definitely one of my favorite endings of the year the main focus at the end of the movie is mads mickelson's character martin i feel like the ending of this movie kind of wraps up everything he was kind of aiming for throughout this film um which was basically just kind of aside from trying not to be boring he wanted to really be his youth like back in his youth kind of and i felt like that's what they were all going for is just reclaiming their youth and that was the solidifying factor for that and i'm kind of curious as i was talking to um my one sister's partner about this they they didn't enjoy it as much as we did but we got on to talk about like if this is actually how like students and teachers are in in Denmark not like the drinking part but like if they're that close because it really seemed like the students and teachers in this movie had like a closer relationship than like say we do in uh, in our education system and I'm kind of like uh, it was just something I thought of oh there's so much to talk about about the education in the movie the tests how in that messed movie, their, uh, their exams are yeah like the pressure that's put on them oh my god it's brutal mm-hmm. and i there's no way this movie that's just like made up stuff like it's got i mean it's no there's no way so it's it's really interesting i mean that's something like somebody from a scandinavian country i don't know if they do it in every like in sweden and and like norway and stuff i don't know if they do it the same way but i mean anybody from there watching this movie is going to be like yeah that's just normal life but to us it just seems something so stressful and different compared to what we're used to for for anyone that's confused about it in in the movie they have it where you don't learn what your exam is about until the day of basically they hand you the subject and then you have to write the exam off in a room the day of so you kind of have to study all these different subjects and make sure you know your shit on all of them because you don't know which one's going to get picked but he didn't even write it remember he went into a room and there was like 30 pieces of there's like 30 pieces of paper. Yeah, that too. You have to kind of present it to people too. They flip it around and you get your like subject matter. And then you have an hour to study and then prepare like a speech as if you're the master of this subject. It's very intimidating and like I cannot picture it. I would shit myself each year. <laughs> That's not a great way to gauge your intelligence level in any way either. Like what if they just lucked out and got something that they already know a bunch about? What if they studied 28 out of 30 and they got one of the other two? Like, there's so many things that could go wrong there. Yeah, it's not completely the point of the movie, but, yeah, like, a part of it is, you know, why these people, these kids turn to alcohol and stuff like that. Oh, that was such a minor part of the movie that left such a big impact where I was like, I can't believe that. <laughs> Deposit for, like, 15 minutes when we were watching it just to discuss how messed up their exams are. <laughs> I should ask Emil. I have a, I have a good friend from Norway. Should ask him if that's how his exams are. Yeah, I thought like Mads Mikkelsen was was incredible too. Right away, within twenty minutes of the movie, like I wanted to cry for him. There's a really emotional scene with him, and I don't know, it just kind of it hit me like really hard. Basically, he's just at uh, the dinner table holding back tears. You know, there's a few scenes in this movie that are they pack quite the emotional punch. That's what I love about this movie. It's one of those ones that kind of just hits you on all those different levels. You know, super funny, super charming, super emotional, just good all around. Yeah, it's got a lot to say. I feel like there's one major talking point that we can kind of focus on, 
and then we can kind of move on to the other ones because we have a lot more to say about the other ones. We're kind of all in agreement here. I think this movie's okay. This is kind of spoiler alert from here on out for this movie, but I think what's going to scare people away from this movie is they're going to think that it almost embraces alcohol or glorifies it. But I really don't think that's the intent at all. I think the ending is kind of supposed to be the fact that like alcohol isn't bad on its own. It's just through excess is when it becomes a problem. And it's almost like every step forward he has Martin and everyone else, they're followed by like three steps back. You know, and at the end of when he gets the the message from his wife saying like she wants to take him back again, you know, he has one step forward because he's quit alcohol and then he has the one last drink because his friend died and then he goes off partying again. It's like you're kind of left to wonder, like, is that his last drink or is he going to be better in the future? You know, me and Ben kind of talked about the one part that I really wish they focused in more on was like his original reason for turning to alcohol, like Martin was he wasn't that interesting. He was kind of boring and he wanted to escape his youth, like you were saying, Gabe, or he wanted to escape back to his youth. But then at the end, we don't really get like enough scenes proving that he's an interesting enough person on his own without alcohol. So kind of like kind of leaves the impression that he's only interesting because he was getting drunk all the time. Otherwise, it just makes him look like a miserable, depressed old man, you know? Or in the first, like, 20, 30 minutes. I was going to say, the one thing to add on to your point that, you know, like, alcohol isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just drinking in excess. Is it just uh, kind of with the different characters and their different places in life, it shows not everybody will start drinking and might fall into a spiral of abusing alcohol just because they enjoy drinking like everyone has their own kind of deal going on and could be like their motivation or the reason they drink to kind of forget like you got Mads who's kind of not doesn't have a great like relationship with his wife anymore or his kids and his students don't really like him so he thought this would be kind of a or like a more fun thing to uh make it better for him but then you also have one of his friends who's yeah loosen loosen himself up because he was so stiff all the time yeah and then you got somebody who's stressed out because he has a new kid but then you got another person who i believe lost his wife so he's kind of still grieving that loss so they all kind of have their own reasons tommy's the one who passes away it wasn't tommy was it yeah because all he had was the dog yeah who's the other guy there's one guy that doesn't really have too much of a reason he's a little bit underwritten yeah one of the have the best characterization because the the other guy has his wife and he's kind of like the trouble at home then there's martin's character then there's tommy peter i guess peter yeah, yeah. martin tommy nicolage nicolage is the one with the wife this is the bed <laughs> yeah there's one of them in there that's not as well written but i really like appreciate how regardless you can kind of see throughout the movie all the different reasons why people turn to alcohol in the first place it's a good story that shows like alcohol doesn't solve your problems. You know, you need to be able to face it on your own. You know, you kind of need to grow up out of it. It's just going to continue to cause more problems, if anything. You can't turn to it for solutions. And yeah, we don't really have much to say about it. It's just really fun, really funny, great performances, great chemistry between uh, the cast. All right. What's the, what's the next one we got? Uh, oh, ratings. We're going to rate this one? All right, real quick, before we rate this, are these three in your top five movies? Like, any of the three we're doing are... La- last Round and Minari are... Last Round and Minari are... We can say if the, we're... Uh, you know what? We'll save it till our year. I'm sure in our year in review episode, we'll go over a top 10. So, I'll leave that be. Anyways, I was just wondering. Okay. Um. Yeah, give it a rating. I give it a 9 out of 10. Yeah, 9 out of 10. Yeah, it's a 9 out of 10 for me. I hope it gets recognition come award season. Yeah, it'd be cool to see, like, best foreign picture. Well, it better get 
bad. I think I'm hoping I get something even outside of that. Like it'd be cool if they got like if Mads yeah. got a, like a recognition for it. I'm down. For I that. would love to see that, but there's there's a little dance he does when they get drunk. I don't know if you guys remember, but he does this little like thing with his legs and he like shakes his shoulders like this. And it's like the goofiest I've yeah, it's the goofiest I've ever seen him. It's the funniest thing in the movie. Just because of who he is. It's so nice just seeing that like goofy side of him. Because you see it in interviews and stuff, but you never see it in his characters. Yeah, exactly. I, I watched it right after watching like a few seasons of Hannibal. I watched I finished it a couple months ago. And yeah, it was so funny. <laughs> just a dramatic shift. It's great to see. I think uh the Academy kind of got a lot of like overpraise for recognizing Parasite last year as more than just a foreign film, which is like silly that it's come, like, it's taken this long for them to recognize foreign cinema as like equal to ours. Especially when like most of my favorite movies of the year are typically foreign films. Minari is considered foreign, but it's not. It's an American movie, but by the Academy. But yeah, they, they still came under quite a bit of flack last year for not recognizing like any foreign actors in the main categories so maybe this year they'll need to kind of turn around and pay more attention to that you know if they're considering minari a foreign film maybe steven young will get a nomination didn't antonio banderas get nominated last year he did yeah all right so let's segue into a uh, minari then minari it is about a korean family that moves to arkansas to start a, far- a start a farm in the 1980s uh it's directed by lee isaac chung also written by lee isaac chung and it starts Steven Yun, Yari Han, Yoon Yeo-jung, Alan Kim, Noel Cho, Will Patton's in there a bit, Scott Hayes. Did it premiere at TIFF? I cannot remember. TIFF isn't even a thing this year. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so it's 20, you can say it's 2021 movie. Some might say it's a 2020 movie. Um, Either way. It was Sundance, by the way. It was great. Oh, Sundance, yeah. But this is being a lot of, like solid reception from people and you know we are familiar with a24 and the movies they put out so you know steven young a24 and can't go wrong with those two combinations we'll just go the same way we do with another round so ben i want to give your initial thoughts it's a movie that i loved while i watched it but i don't have this is another one i don't have a ton to say about it and it's really it's a really simple film and that's what it's going for and it's what i like about it but i think because of that I don't have that much to analyze. And also, Jacob and I have kind of talked about this. I don't really know your full thoughts on it, Gabe, but I'm not really a big fan of the ending. And I think it's such a simple film with a very, like, accepted and simple message as well that it kind of gets muddled in the last five minutes and not, like, in an interesting, dark way, just kind of, like, a confusing way almost. And it lost me a bit there, but I still I enjoyed it all the way through. I thought it could have packed a bit more of an emotional punch. I was kind of expecting something three quarters way through the movie to happen that never came to fruition at all. There's a few things I thought that could have happened. Like there was like two or three really big emotional punches I thought they were going to pull and they didn't do any of them. But uh, I really like the relationships and like it's a very small story about a family. So you kind of have to get that right. And I think they got that core aspect almost perfect. The only like flaw to me is I think the daughter was super underutilized to the point that they didn't need the daughter like she he could have been an only child and it would have worked exactly fine yeah because there's the main cast is like mom dad son daughter 
grandma comes to live with them. And everyone in this movie is so integral to the family dynamic and to the charm of the film, except for the... And it's not like... I'm not trying to say this to like hurt the, the actress who played the daughter. And she, was, she did a good job. There's just no material presented to her whatsoever. So it's a shame that it was so close to getting that family dynamic perfect. But uh, overall, I loved all the other characters and I liked the story a lot too. And the side characters were fun as well. Just kind of seeing the town around them and how they're like treated in that town is a very interesting take yeah and i thought like stephen young and alan kim like alan kim's the the kid who plays david that kid was a great actor i one of the best yeah, child so actors good. i've seen in probably in years like honestly he's like both like hilarious and there's also just times that like really break your heart you know i like the the kind of walking the tightrope with the grandma's dynamic where it's like a part of it's really funny and a part of it's also just really sad, you know, just like from the grandma's perspective, this grandson, you know, he just won't accept her how she is. It's actually pretty heartbreaking, but it's just kind of lighthearted enough that you can kind of it doesn't lose its charm. It's hard to put like into words. But yeah, I love the look of this movie. and I thought the character relationships were great, like you were saying. But yeah, I thought the movie was going to be more about like how unattainable the American dream is. And I felt like in the last 10 minutes it kind of just went against what i thought it was going to be going for i thought given uh, so i don't want to kind of spoil we'll anything, talk about so we'll yeah we'll, we'll go into it later but it seemed like the last 10 minutes kind of went against what the rest of the movie was going for in my opinion but besides that though yeah i love the music in this movie i thought that was incredible probably my favorite part of it the the composer he did um the last black man in san francisco and uh kajillionaire similar kind of like ethereal vibe you know it really worked with this movie and the look of the, the movie like the visual look i like just how like in in the houses it just looks so plain and boring and then outside it's so colorful and grand and beautiful it's just kind of like it kind of captures david's like innocence and how he probably sees the world that's what i got from it at least yeah i love this movie yeah i think i'll just come out right say now like it was like i don't i don't know whether to consider it 2020 or 2021 so if you look at my letterbox account, it's on both lists as number one. Because I, I was like, I don't know what to consider it. I'll just have to wait for the year and decide then. Um, I, I do agree. Like, the ending was, I, I don't want to say abrupt, but, like, it was kind of abrupt. And I feel like the director was kind of going for a certain feeling with the ending that didn't quite hit as emotional and heavy as he thought it was going to. As, like, compared, like, literally just before that scene... The ending scene, there's another scene between Steven Yun and Han Yi Rai that, like, they leave, like, this uh, local grocery store market and they have a conversation like that was a lot more emotionally uh, impactful with their conversation than the, like, final conclusion. But other than that, I'm a sucker for kind of simple movies, like, when we watched First Cow for one of our earlier episodes like the third or fourth episode we did like i love that movie and i still love that movie and it kind of falls into the same same vein of like simpleness and i was saying this to you guys kind of after watching it initially or a few days after like the family dynamic that they kind of portray and, and how they wrote in this movie is a lot of uh i can resonate a lot with it growing up with my with my mom being from thailand and going to visit my family in Thailand and seeing how the family, like my all my aunts, uncles, nephews, cousins, and my grandma, 
kind of lived together and how their daily lives work, it kind of hit home for me a little bit, just like off the bat. That's like what I could say about it. And yeah, just like Jacob said, the music is great. And what one thing I really liked about it was they could have went away with went in one direction where they're yeah they're in Arkansas in the 1980s so they could have just on top of trying to start a farm from almost nothing could have also faced like racism in the community but like I've seen that film kind of cliche done so much and not saying it's not true like that does happen but it's kind of nice to see them being in a town that's just openly accepting of them like yeah there's some interactions between some of the kids at they go to the church um for one scene and then the kids of like a whiter of a white family and of david and his sister are interacting with some of the kids around their age and yeah they they say some kind of racy things to them but you can't excuse it but at the same time it's like that's kind of how kids are and other than that there wasn't anything with yeah people refusing to help them out because of what their background was or where they're coming from so see that scene with the kids is like so heartbreaking too because it's like obviously those kids don't realize how awful they're being but like you can see just how much it hurts the family the kids like the ones that we that we're watching just you know they kind of just take it a little bit and it's hard to watch because like they're so young you know even the one kid that like we were just like oh fuck this kid he's an asshole but then he's the one who ends up coming back later and they have the sleepover together and he just genuinely yeah. likes this kid and wants to be friends with him but like just understand how to treat yeah I, I agree i really think that though that was there's no like heavy scene with someone calling them like a racial slur or something like it's from the child's perspective it's a lot more subtle and i think that's a lot it's a lot more to take away from because i don't know if you're watching this movie and like maybe you are a huge racist if you see a scene like that you know it's not going to do anything for you you're going to feel like you're the villain but something like that might slip by you and might think make you think a little bit more it's also from the kid's perspective, so you don't want to see something too dark in the movie. Like, that's not this movie at all. There was, like, even this movie with how simple was and more spo- supposed to be, like, a drama and stuff. Like, there were scenes in it that got me cracking up. Like, and it was mostly because of David and his innocence as a child and being raised in America and seeing how kind of the elders in, like, North America are treated and families. Like, like I don't know some families but i know for the most part like grandmas and grandpas or stuff like that don't live with people's families for for the for the most part but in like asian culture it's like a really big thing to have your grandmother come live with you and it's not something that's super taboo or different and just some of the stuff of him trying to adapt to that just cracked me up like him saying he doesn't want to sleep in the same room as her because she smells like korea (laughs) it just fucking made me laugh i was like oh my god this kid (laughs) I, I really liked that that whole relationship between the, the grandma, for sure, though. That might be, like, my favorite part of the movie. But do you guys want to kind of open up spoilers and talk about the... Yeah. Say, well, like, obviously the movie's about the immigrant life and how it means to, you know, try to make it in America, chasing the American dream. But just, I don't know, throughout the movie, I kept on feeling like it was going to lean into the idea that, like, the American dream is, like, an unattainable lie. It's kind of an idea that they've been sold, you can make it on your own, but you can't, like, thrive like I think he was hoping to. Ben, do you just fall asleep? Yeah, I'm here, but... We're on video chat, and looks like Ben's sleeping right now. You can't see me. I can do what I want. <laughs> so, yeah, it just seems like up until that, like, throughout the ending, basically, he kind of attaches himself too much to this idea where he needs to chase it, and he needs to kind of fulfill it because he needs 
both to like succeed and he also needs his children to see him succeed but it's more like he wants himself to see his children see him succeed if that makes sense if this obsession kind of yeah this obsession kind of like eats up over him and there's a scene out with him and his wife near the end and they kind of come down to a conversation where she's like saying like she's basically gonna leave him if she you know can't like abandon this idea and he's just like completely ignores what she's saying and it's just like i need to do this i need to prove it to myself and then in the ending they have a fire and everything's destroyed and the family comes together so i feel like the idea is that like you know the american dream is unattainable lie but it'll bring the family together when all else goes wrong but it just felt like after that they're just going to restart like there was nothing really stopping him from success except this like random fire you know I just seem like the whole movie, they're kind of playing into the idea that maybe this dream isn't worth pursuing. And then last minute, everything kind of works out. Yeah, it'd be a weird ending to obviously have them have a divorce and everything goes horribly. But it didn't feel like all the threads that were kind of hanging at that point in the, the movie kind of came together in the ending for me. Yeah, even like you were saying the conversation, he doesn't... One of the biggest lines that had an impact on me, it's not even that he says, I need to do this for myself. Because that's one thing. Like, if he really couldn't live his whole life just, you know, checking the gender of chicks. I don't know if we talked about that, but that's all he does. Just lifts up baby chicks and sees what gender they are. Puts them in a little and, box. Yeah. And, like, if that's something that he couldn't bear for the rest of his life because he needed to do something that he enjoyed, that would be one thing. But he even, like, tries to argue with his wife and says, the kids need to see me succeed. Like, he's so obsessed with this idea that he genuinely thinks that it's his kids that need to see it's like look how old your kids are your kids don't have to see you succeed like they're happy no matter what they're gonna need food on the table they're gonna need a better lifestyle like they don't need to see you succeed if you can get a sustainable income in california doing this right like i get the idea is supposed to be like you know when you move to a different country you need to prove that you can be something for your children so they can see that they can succeed in the world but yeah like you were saying like they're just so young that's like really given how extreme circumstances are right now you need to survive he's putting the family through crisis one after another not like huge crises but like big family like issues are happening because of you know how much work he's putting into this one thing and it's kind of felt like by the end it was just sort of like uh we'll just do it again and forget about all of it you know and like the the wife feels like she's very adamant on leaving no matter what and yeah it didn't seem like that situation was solved really she puts her foot down and says she's leaving and then whenever when the the fire goes out and like burns all of their crop that should even be a giveaway for steven yun's character to be like oh fuck i just lost out on that deal fuck it let's go to california i got nothing else to do here like that's the only thing that makes sense to me now that not that i love that conclusion either because it only forces him to move because of the situation and not like from character growth but it shouldn't affect her decision in any way if anything it should just be like are you kidding me you're still not going to come after this but yeah and then she just stays and there's no explanation as to why i don't think the film like i would love to ask the director why he made that decision because i'd like to know what his like reasoning even was because i can't think of anything so about the fire about why the wife decides to stay after the fire i think it's supposed to be like a realization moment like she realizes how truly important it was to him but it's like like ben mentioned this to me and i don't think it's like completely a bad thing it's probably unintentional yeah he saves the fruit before the wife or before the grandma sorry and it's like oh that only goes against the point that that you're probably trying to aim for you know yeah i do i do think that's something the director probably just missed 
But like when they first show up there, they don't know where the grandma is. They don't. He doesn't know that the grandma's not. He doesn't know the grandma's safe, and he runs in and tries to save all of his fruit before he even looks to give a shit about the grandma. It's like if that wasn't already the final straw, like she should have been out of there at that point. I think it's just uh, it's like one of those things where you're already down bad, like his entire like all his work for so long is like gone, and it's like all right, I'm gonna peace out of here. Would just put such a sour taste in your mouth for an ending of a movie that had a lot of heart <laughs> beforehand. Yeah, it just it puts itself in a weird position at the end where it's like I wouldn't have been happy with him going away and having a job he obviously hates for the rest of his life. But also like he needed to kind of realize his family's emotions a bit more, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of it has it still has like a happy er ending past that though where the grandma her planting the minari seeds pays off at the end and they go to plant them and I'm like, "Oh, that's Yeah, how yeah. sweet." So, you know, they they make it in the end yeah there's a lot of stuff in this movie though like i did not expect that fire at the end like until obviously the grandma started throwing out the trash and stuff and after her stroke and she can barely move i'm like oh no here we go what's gonna happen but they really and no pun intended with the seeds but they plant a lot of things into this movie where you think it could go wrong like you have david's heart condition until the end you have them not having access to water and then all their fruits or fruits and vegetables drying out and you have the the like dwindling or like the deteriorating relationship between the parents and the grandma having a stroke and everything and so it's like they they really planted a lot of stuff in here to make you think it's going to go one direction but at the end like you have that one final scene and i feel like they just didn't want to go to something so I guess gut wrenching and impactful to a family. I mean, a fire is pretty fucking. That's a pretty big deal. But Edward, it sucks to me too because I like the idea that it's misdirection. Like they have all these things that could go wrong that don't go wrong, and then there's kind of the unexpected. Oh, but then the fire comes into play. But I think I would have preferred almost any of the other things they set up. Because like, if the grandma passed away, I would have loved to have seen the reaction from the kid right. who treated her like shit, but obviously grew. A- relationship with her over the course of the film i don't i wouldn't have wanted the kid to die but that would have been fucking heartbreaking obviously i mean i hate to say oscar bait but doing that is also like oscar bait which i mean if they wanted to drive in to get an yeah, award like should I do one of those two things and you're almost like a shoe in at that point <laughs> that's i i know what you mean i can see with both points you guys are making where it's like you can't have too sappy of an ending where it's like you know yeah making an oscar bait where it's like you have something predictable but at the same time, like, the alternative didn't really work out for me, and it didn't really give me the emotional punch I really wanted. I was kind of expecting to walk away from this movie, like, in tears or something, you know? I feel like at the beginning, it um, it's just, the ending just happens so abruptly that it's, and you're, or like I was saying before, like, it happens so abruptly, and you're taking off such an emotional interaction between the parents right after that, and then that happens, and you're just like, it's like, it just kind of happens, you're like, okay, that sucks. <laughs> I also prefer usually anytime someone can come up with an interesting consequence for characters that isn't just death. I feel like a lot of people get stuck in that. They're like, oh, we need some consequences. It should be death. Someone needs to die. And like, obviously, I don't think death is a bad consequence. Like, there's nothing to like gawk at there. But there are just so many interesting ways to show consequences in film and television that aren't just someone dying. And this could have been. It was just like, like, I appreciate that, that they found a way around that. But then it's just not really a consequence, maybe. Or maybe it is. I don't know. 
Well, it's going to go about it again, it seems like. Or maybe you're not supposed to know. Maybe it's supposed to be up under interpretation. Maybe they don't make it at all, and it's a miserable ending. Like, it's supposed to be like, a, oh, do they make it or not kind of ending. It just feels like it's supposed to be a happy ending. But I'm like, but there's no way that guy's going to stick around in that deal. Well, if he's getting Minari, then he will. Because that was the whole thing was the grandma brought them from Korea. So that's not something you can get in the States, you know? Not saying, like, that's the ending factor, but, I mean, that's one thing. Yeah, well, what if he's like, I don't want Minari. <laughs> I don't give a shit about this Minari. But no, like this, I loved it. I just had, I guess, just because of my connection with it personally, but um, I'll be really upset if, like, they don't get any form of nomination, whether it be, uh, like, it's original stories, original screenplay, the score, Stephen Young getting a nomination for actor, or... Like, any of that. I think it's guaranteed to get nominated for foreign film, but that's that's all I can see it getting nominated for at the moment, for sure. Doesn't South Korea have to kind of claim it as theirs, though? As, like, their movie to kind of... Because they could think of other movies that have released in Korea that they're like, oh, no, we're going to submit this. Like, don't they have to technically... Yeah, I don't know how it works that way. That would suck, because they're not going to, like, go for the one that's, you know, filmed in America. <laughs> Maybe they will recognize it as an American film if that's the case. I don't know. I really hope so. I mean, this, like, there's just so many things you could take away from it. Stephen Young and the screenplay, or and the score and probably screenplay, like, are the, those are things that I'm like, give them give them a nomination. <laughs> yeah, I like to see the, the score, and I know it's never going to happen, but give my boy David, Alan Kim, give him a little Oscar. Um, You guys got much else to say about this one? No. Nah. Anything for you, Jacob? I thought it was pretty great. Like I like I like everything pretty much up until the last 10 minutes. Like everything else I thought was excellent. So there's so much good about it that it didn't hurt it too much for me. You want to throw a rating at this one? 8 out of 10. I just give it an 8 out of 10. I give it a 9 out of 10. The last one, and I will I should say this now, I guess before we dive into Sound of Metal is like for such a shitty year of movies, they really came out strong at the end with a few or i mean well a lot of these two are though are like 2021 yeah depending sucks. how you look at it like that's like that same about minari it's like technically it's releasing in theaters 2021 technically it didn't because it came out at sun it premiered sundance and it's the same for sound of metal i don't know all, all the movies from the last two weeks that are like came out in 2020 and like festivals i've just been putting was 2020 all right sound of metal was another sound of metal is like 2019 yeah, it premiered at TIFF in 2019. And, like, some people aren't seeing this now until 2021. came out, uh, it got released on Prime. It was about early December, I believe, end of November. It's about a heavy metal drummer whose life is thrown into a free-for-all when he begins to lose his hearing. It's directed by Darius Martyr, also written by Darius Martyr and Abraham Martyr. And it stars Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, Paul Racy, Lauren Ridloff, Matthew Amalric, Domenico Toledo, Chelsea Lee, and yeah. Ben, same deal. Start her up, buddy. Uh, I didn't love this movie the way that I wanted to. Going in, I thought this was going to be like potentially my favorite movie of the year. I was expecting like a solid 9 out of 10 with this. And uh, I liked it. I thought it was good. But uh, I definitely have my fair share of issues. I don't know how much I should get into them right now or if we should wait for spoiler territory to arise. But I thought Riz Ahmed was incredible like he's definitely the standout performance he 
probably should and will get nominated for it. Uh, I always like Olivia Cook. She's great, and she's pretty great in this. She's not a huge presence in this movie, but she's still great. Uh, also, like I guess it makes sense once the movie gets going, but I thought music would have a bigger role in the film, and it kind of just never... Once it starts going in the direction it's going into, it doesn't turn back ever. And I think there's a lot of interesting places they could have taken it if it did focus more on the music as well. Um, and like obviously being about someone who's a heavy metal drummer who goes, starts to go deaf. I don't know. I, I never felt like they, they had that emotional punch of him losing that whole aspect of his life. Because once it's gone, it's just kind of gone from the film. And they never talk about that much again. And he doesn't seem to struggle with that as much. Like It seems like he's struggling more with day-to-day things than with that. Which is weird considering it's called The Sound of Metal. But um, but yeah, we'll get into my main issues later. So Yeah, like I liked it. And I also kind of thought I was going to love it. I think this didn't sound like really strong. But I, I seriously think part of this movie is like very emotionally like manipulative. I think the first half is like excellent. It's like some of the best like filmmaking of the whole year. But I think the second half is extremely sloppy. Really misguided in what it wants to say. And almost really offensive, I, I think. And also, it just like the way it presents it, like I said, it's it's very manipulative, and I think it really took away from a lot of my enjoyment of the movie. I think I would have otherwise probably would have loved it, but yeah, it kind of damaged a lot of my enjoyment of it. But besides that, like like we we're saying, like I think there's some great performances in here. I love the way they use the sound design. I thought that was really like interesting, and um, I I like parts of how they filmed it, but then parts of it I didn't because. You're always obviously trapped in with Riz Ahmed's character, so like it's like this objective perspective, or yeah, objective perspective. But then other things would happen where it's like we're not seeing it with him, so it's just like they're only certain, like they're editing out certain moments that we're not seeing that we should be seeing, and like it just felt like everything was in service of tragedy. Is what I kept on feeling like over and over again. That's a spoiler talk. We'll get into it deeper. Gabe, how did how do you feel? Yeah, I really liked it. It was my fear for a bit, and then I kind of fell off on it just a little. I know what we're going to talk about eventually, so. I'll, but um, as far as I know, some people did find this a little offensive. Some thought it did it justice to the deaf community. I'll say this now, and I've already told, like me and Jacob talked about this before, and we said it in the in our little group chat, but uh, there are certain things in movies with like representation that you know I can't personally speak out on and say whether or not it's representative or not um and this is one of them just because some people will say their personal experiences with certain aspects that this movie talk or this movie kind of shows um and then some people will say no i thought it did a great justice to how i live my day-to-day life so that's just it's just one of those things that i don't really want to it's not my place to talk about you know Can can i interject here for a minute Mind if I clarify this? Basically, there's a scene in the movie where let's kind of just open up the spoiler territory from here because I feel like this is going to be the main. Yeah, I try not to like spoil it right off the bat, but this might be the main point of conversation. I think is they. It's not just the fact that they present CIs like this implant that they're going to give him as a cure all. Like the way that the movie presents it makes it seem like 100%. This is the solution. We don't see the conversations people have with them telling them. There's a chance he won't get your hearing back. There's no warnings people give him throughout the movie that things aren't going to be 100% clear. So if you go into it not knowing anything about the subject, you might very well 
be on Riz Ahmed's side because you're like, yeah, why wouldn't you go for this thing that's going to cure your, your hearing? He's a musician, you know, like it's obviously a big part of his life and how he makes money. Like it's essential to how he's going to make a living. And in this situation, he thinks he can get away. Like he thinks this is what he needs. So I have a problem with the fact that the movie doesn't explain the situation around the CIs. But then it goes so far as to demonize people that get them. And I can see the argument being like, oh, well, he went against, you know, Joe's trust by getting the CIs. But he can also go about his treatment in any way he wants possible. I think, like, for a movie that goes into a community, like, deaf community, to focus in so hard about a section of people that do get that kind of treatment, it just seemed, like, so bizarre to me. Because also, I've read more into it. Sorry to cut you off, Ben, there. But no, it's not just... Some people have different, like, levels of how bad they will hear it. And another thing is, you won't hear it 100% like day one. It'll take time to train your brain to it. You won't just immediately get, you'll never get hearing back like it was. But the fact that they didn't explain it to him, the fact that he doesn't know that it was going to be different than the fact that no therapy is offered to him, everything I've read about is like, this isn't how it happens. This is all bullshit. As far as to say, like they said to him even like, this insurance won't cover this. A lot of most, most insurance companies in like America will cover CIs for you. So it's just like everything in the second half is all like tragedy upon tragedy to make the situation horrible for him. When it's like in reality, we should be seeing the doctor saying to him, this won't cure your deafness, but there's a chance, you know, like that it might make it a little bit better. And then that might even be more interesting because then he can discuss it with Joe and Joe can have the conversation with him about why he shouldn't do it, but he still feels like he needs to. But instead, the whole thing turns into, like, they're shaming him for getting his treatment. And I was so turned off at that point. It, like, ruined the movie. Yeah, I also feel like the movie took a hard stance with Joe, as if Joe was kind of, like, the all-around good guy of the film. I don't know if we're supposed to, like, it's. I hate when, I, when something in the movie comes across to me, and I'm not sure if this is the way the director wanted us to view it or not, but, like, I feel like... Joe's community felt very like a manipulative religion. Like they would take him in only on the condition that he doesn't get a CI, you know, only on the condition that he lives by the rules that he has. And it, yeah, you get rid of your phone. You can't see your girlfriend. You can't do any of this. No outside contact. Like by the end, it, it feels like it's supposed to be kind of like a Mr. Miyagi moment where like, He's saying all these things you think are stupid, you don't understand, but by the end of it, you're like, oh, Joe was so right, we should have listened to Joe. And it's like, what the, this guy's so manipulative, like, he totally uproots his life, it's such a, he's going through so much, and he does so much, and like, even, even the phone thing, like, I think is so crazy in that moment where it's like, all he has is his girlfriend. And his entire life, she's the only like yeah, yeah. loving presence he has when he's going through this. And right now, because he he's like almost entirely lost his hearing, or when it gets to the point that he has entirely lost his hearing, the only way you can really communicate to her right now is through words like text. And he's not allowed to text her. And like, big spoiler alert: by the end of the movie, when he does get the the CI. And he goes back and sees her. Like, the whole idea is that, like, they did love each other, but their lives are so different. So now they're just going to kind of part ways. It's like, I, I get that, but maybe they wouldn't have parted ways if they were fucking talking to each other over the last four months. Yeah. Like, she, she would have been so supportive and, like, communicating with him the entire time, and maybe they wouldn't have broken up. And I don't think you're supposed to be like, fuck you, Joe. You, you're the reason that they're not together. You're just supposed to think, like, oh, they have different lives now. It's like, but why? 
because they were not allowed to talk to each other. Like, that's so ridiculous. I also feel like, too, with that part with Olivia Cook's character, it almost comes out of nowhere. It's like, oh, you secretly have a rich dad and like you've been not secretly, but to the audience, we don't know she has a rich dad and like you're only together with him because your mom died and you became an addict. Like it just felt so like brushed aside and like just sudden to me where I was like, I can get the idea that like it's supposed to be like they've grown apart now and maybe they're not good for each other being together, but it just seems more like a toxic idea that two people can't grow together, you know? It just, I don't know. It kind of... Like any kind of good message was in there at all. It just seemed like, oh, she's just going to go back to her rich dad now. That's out of the story. Okay. I will say, like, I don't know if I'm in total agreement here, because in so a lot of rehabs and places like this, because it isn't just a place to help him adapt to him becoming deaf or him losing his hearing. It's also a place because they know that when something like this happens in your life, um, you might turn to... F- habits that you were once like keen to doing and i know in a lot of rehabs or situations like this they don't let you have your phone or have contact because sometimes the best way to kind of improve your life or kind of get better is to only focus on yourself and i think with joe is kind of like i i know what you mean ben when it's like the mr miyagi moment where it's like oh well now he said this when i first got here and now i see what he means it's more so him like saying no you can't talk to your girlfriend because if he does he's still latching on to that one part of his life that on top of him having to learn sign language on top of him having to adapt to not hearing anymore he also has to learn that just now since your life's kind of going to a spiral you don't need to use anymore as you used to and i know smoking was one of the things that he was like a small thing he got back into um but it could have been much worse and I don't like uh, the part of them separating and then eventually once they reconvene again, they're no longer like you could say compatible. And it's not something that I take issue with because it felt like they were always holding each other back from doing things that they felt like their lives could have been. It's harder for um, Riz's character to say because we only know him as being the drummer. And I don't know where else is they didn't really kind of dive into his past life before that. But at least Olivia Cook's character. Yeah, we just we just know his parents passed away. That's kind of think all we know. Yeah. From what we've seen in the videos and when he goes to visit her in Europe, like she's pretty successful as a kind of artsy musician, like vocalist now. And yeah, I'm not totally opposed to them separating. Like obviously, like you get introduced to them as this couple, and you're kind of rooting for them to kind of hold, like pull through all this. But it's just two characters i feel like that helped each other so much with issues that they had and eventually like they still love each other but they know it's not like the directions their lives are going aren't gonna work at all so they accepted that yeah i i think the way like the rehab worked for them in this movie like it was fine Uh, my main issues with this film are kind of where i think it's just around the halfway point when Riz's character starts adapting to his new way of living. Like, Jacob and I talked about this um, when I saw him last. It was more so, like, he was struggling to do sign language. He was struggling to help out with that st- with the students at that school. And then it seemed like he had one 
maybe like a 20 minute interaction with one of the deaf kids outside where he's banging on the slide and then right after that it jumps into him being like this great role model this awesome help around the rehab and I feel like that happened all so sudden and then kind of just started wrapping up really quick okay he sells stuff now he's got the CIs now he somehow has money to go to Europe to visit his girlfriend and then it ends so a lot of my issues are more so just the pacing of the movie like it started off really well it paced really well at the beginning and you're kind of being introduced to all these characters but then it seemed like they just wanted to wrap it up at the end they felt they felt like they didn't have much to say once he adapted to doing ASL and reading ASL and they're like okay that's it he's he's good now let's finish this movie that's what it kind of felt like to me yeah it also felt like a they didn't explain that there was any kind of big time jump or anything. So like sometimes if you want to do a time jump to show it, like that's fine, but you kind of need to specify that. But it really felt like, bam, he's just now like a huge influence on all these kids lives, like more so than anyone else living in that community. Cause like Joe literally offers him stay on in a full-time position. He's been that inspirational to everybody else. And it's like, no one else has been like amazing like this. I will. I think Paul Racy was great in this movie, and I didn't know this until I actually looked him up. But um, he is like I didn't know he actually is deaf in real life, and he actually did serve like two tours in Vietnam, as they uh, as he talks about in the movie as part of his character. He's basically playing himself. Yeah, I think too. There's another time jump near the end of the movie where it's supposed to be he gets kicked out, and he has four weeks or three weeks or something like that until the ASL or the cls um until they're like they're good to come back to the hospital or whatever and he's just they never explained where he's been for four weeks and it's like he's essentially homeless like it's such a major plot point and it's just entirely skipped over i don't know this is a movie i feel like would have worked out really a lot better as like a mini series to really flesh out all of these ideas because like you were saying with the scene with the breakup i i like the idea that these two people realize you know you know that they're moving different directions in life, but like we were, I was saying before, like it just comes at such a point, it's so sudden, and the fact that they've been separated for so long just makes it feel like, I don't know, it didn't give exactly the, the emotional response I really expected. It would have been better if we could get more moments of them coming back, connecting, like every now and then, like if he was in rehab, he, every now and then he was escaping to come visit her or something like that. I don't know, I could see it working better as a miniseries than that. And I, I know what you mean by like, that's how rehab is, is they take these things away from him. But it's just like he wasn't really in rehab, though, at the same time. like It's not rehab at all. Yeah, he's in this like self-help group with a bunch of different deaf... Like, he's just in a community, a deaf community. That's all it is, really. And like he's there on charity because they're helping him out. Well, but... it's considered a rehab when they talk about it in the movie. It's considered a rehab and everything else before. So that's why I'm calling it a rehab. But if, 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 if the person who's... Okay. But regardless, he into rehab for drug addiction versus going through something that's out of your control like this. Not that like, obviously there's a lot of conversation around addiction being a disease and everything as well, where it's not fully in your control, but like, this is just something that out of the blue happened to him. He like has no prior knowledge of sign language. Like this is just something he needs taught to him. You know, it's not, it's not as, something it's not something to overcome the way that rehab is right like it's it was, which is weird because the the rehab of like the deaf community their main thing is that it's not a handicap this isn't something to get over so why are they treating it like a rehab then why are they treating them like 
they need to entirely refocus their lives and and get over all of these and jump over all these well, hurdles. The reason I'm calling it a rehab is because the other people at this place aren't just deaf. That's what I'm saying. Not yeah, some are alcoholics. Some oh, wait, have really? used what before. Else are they? Yeah, that was what? a big really? point. Like the member of the guy when when he got there. I only remember everyone being deaf because everyone was at the dinner tables. And stuff well, they like yeah they were deaf, but there another big thing was when they were sitting in a circle. They were talking about the issues they had, and when Riz tells everybody, like, yeah, I used to use, um, but he didn't, he, this is the first time he's been in this meeting, he doesn't want to open up to it, he just says he used to use needles and stuff, and then other characters came out, and they're saying they're alcoholics. Okay, well, that's, bad. so that's just a part of the, the community, is they have rehab, then. It's not like the whole he, thing is no, rehab. Oh, my God. He talks about how this is a place for people who are who are learning how to adapt to being deaf or who are deaf who have also dealt with issues like addiction and stuff because something this dramatic in their life okay well and like for example riz's case he's i say no, no matter how you slice it though i still feel like the last scene with joe like it comes off so cold because it's like he sells all of his stuff to like just so he can get these cls and now you're kicking him out of this place not even with another night to stay there or anything like that. I'm not really talking about that, though. It just, it all, yeah, no, I'm just coming back to that. Like, because it all ties back into his reaction, basically. It's like that kind of supposed to justify why he got kicked out. But my main complaint is there's not enough Olivia Cook in this movie. And that's just not me kind of uh, nitpicking that. Like, I've seen that's been a common complaint that people have had about this movie is that Olivia Cook, there's like a lack of her character. They in want. It that relationship to deliver at the end but it's it's just a bookend for the film there's nothing in the middle to talk about the relationship at all i think that the ending of this movie like the actual ending would be up there with one of my favorite endings of the year just like uh just like another round but in this case it's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum as another round where it just takes out what he has and it's just absolute silence i thought that was a really good ending i mean you can go into details about how other people? <laughs> I didn't like that ending. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's. I think it's. I have a lot of issues with it. All right. Well, I liked it. Right when it went silent, I was like, "Oh, we go. We're going silent now. Everything's silent." <laughs> well, he's kind of just accepted his. Uh... Like he's homeless. He lost his girlfriend. He just spent forty thousand dollars on this operation, and now he regrets it. It's like it's such a like for a movie that is like I don't know what he's gonna do now because there's not even like there's. But he's comfortable with his life now. It's not even like. He can say, oh, maybe he'll go back to the community and have a happy life there because Joe said fuck off. So he's got nothing and no one. Like, it's just a miserable ending. And it's totally not his fault that things worked out this way. And, like, if we saw the scenes where they said to him, like, this isn't this isn't 100%, it's not even going to sound like it did before, maybe I'd be a bit more like, all right, I can see where Joe's coming from. But we don't see it. So it just makes me feel like, oh, they didn't tell him? Like, what happened? We also have no idea if he's even going to try to pursue music still. Again, like, I, I talked about this at the beginning, too. I, I really did think... You you can't pursue music after that. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't think he can be a drummer at all? Like, I don't know how that no. works. I don't know how... No, no not, a, not at all. I don't think so. Yeah, it sucks. Especially with, with the CLs, I think it would just, like, probably break it or... Damage your ears more. Yeah, it's a very miserable ending. Nothing good happens in that ending. <laughs> There's nothing even, like, to aspire to. It's not like I can be like, oh, maybe he'll do this. It's like, no, I can't see any avenue for him to take that leads to happiness. I like the idea that now he's accepted this condition and that he's going to live with it the rest of his life. But it's also like, 
you know, in real life therapy, they'll give you therapy for CLs or CIs. Sorry. In in the world of the movie too, it feels like he accepts how he was before the operation, but now it almost feels like the like the operation's supposed to be like irreversible to him, where it's like, oh, now he has these implants and he can't he can't go back. There's still a lot of great like there, I like the scene of him watching the scene at near the end when the the girlfriend's singing, his dad's playing piano, and he just looks like he's about to cry, like whistling, like listening to them. That is one of the most heartbreaking scenes I've ever seen. Knowing, like, because regardless of CLs, CIs probably aren't going to make your conditioning, your hearing 100%. And for some people, they won't be 100%. But just the realization, like, it'll never go back to how it was the last sinking moment for him. I thought that was great. I love the slow, like, de-evolution of the sound during that song. Like, when they start singing it, it's exactly how we would hear it and how we would perceive it. And it slowly starts kind of, like, distorting itself and getting more muffled as we start to become his perspective. I was going to say, I think he deserves an Oscar just for that first half, like, and that scene too. I have issues with the second half, but I think he's great all around still. There's a lot of talk on uh, Paul Racy being like the dark horse for the supporting actor nominations. So it'd be interesting to see where, or if that ever like comes up. Or if that actually happens, he ended up. He won. He won an award for um for that already. I think it was, I think it was maybe the North Dakota Film Critics or something like that, like award, like one of the state critics award things. But oh yeah, he won for a uh, National Society of Film Critics Award for Best Supporting Actor. Beat out Chadwick Boseman and Glenn Turman. Glenn Turman was Ma Rainey. Chadwick was for Defy Bloods. It's weird. We might be getting. I don't think they will. Because just by the standard of it all, but it's weird that we could be getting two nominations for Chadwick this year, for supporting and for best actor. Has it ever right, happened? Yeah. Has an actor ever been nominated for supporting and for best? Before before we get to that, give me give me all ratings. Seven. Eight out of ten. Yeah, like there's still a lot of really good stuff in this movie. I think, like I I really like how much it means to deaf people and just being able to see movies like this. I think are really original and how much they do with the concept. You know, I love how much they do with the sound design i love the performances and how much the character shifts but i just wish it had more time to kind of round itself out yeah riz also uh i'll also like one small thing is actually casting like people who are deaf because it's an easy thing just to cast people who know sign language anyone that's up their own fucking ass could be like oh well i'll just cast someone who knows asl because then i could it's a little easier to direct them but no they actually casted people who are deaf to actually be people who are deaf in the movie which is i mean that's a small casting thing but good on them for actually doing that and i know riz isn't but apparently to the people that were on set and stuff like he really committed to this role and was really blockers he was very passionate about it and he really gave it his all apparently so that's always good to hear that kind of leads it back around to that conversation too of what we were talking about before where people should people be allowed to like perform certain roles if they haven't experienced that like isn't it do you guys think it's fine that Rizamed played this character well if the alternative is a, a deaf man drumming and it's gonna hurt them and it's not necessarily saying he's like completely like his hearing's 100 percent gone like it was i'm pretty sure like something like 24 percent 23 percent split between the left and right ear so yeah like mm, yeah it's deteriorating rapidly and he fucked it up more by going to play that show right after that appointment so yeah that was so 
what I think, like, I think there's a conversation around that, but I think what's interesting to me, which probably isn't a minor thing at all, just because his, his career basically is like, I love how many roles Riz Ahmed plays that have nothing to do with him being Muslim. Not because I don't want to see him playing like a Muslim character or anything like that, because obviously he embraces heritage. But I think like we were talking about this the other day, like I think like real progress is getting actors who are gay, Muslim, people of color, like any anything else that's not a white male or like a white female or something like that, you know, and letting them just play the character. Because why does it need to be a white man? Why can't it just be this guy? Why can't it just be Riz Ahmed? Like, I think that's great. Stuff like that, you know. I'm just glad to see like how much attention he's getting because he's kind of been an actor. I feel like we've all kind of seen him in side things and we've all thought he's really good, but we haven't seen like a, a lead role in him for a while. Bro, he's a he's a rapper. Yeah, he's a rapper. He's a good rapper, too. Yo, his his stage name is Riz MC. He just put out an album like I think two days ago or something like that. <laughs> That's great. Riz MC. He was also in one of my favorite movies of 2014. Nightcrawler. Okay, no, it, it comes out uh, March 6th, this album. Yo, Mindy Cowling's on it. What? On his album? She rap on it? What? Hilarious. I'm so down. Oh, no, it came out. Never mind. Yeah, he's a fantastic actor. Like, I'm I'm really glad he's getting a lot more attention. I wanted to finish it, but I watched the first episode of The Night Of, and yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I gotta watch that still. Is there anything else you all want to touch on for today, just in general? Next week is our uh, 2020 wrap-up. We don't really have any movies written down that we're going to cover, but it's going to be a more looser episode probably. We're just going to be talking about what we've seen. And if a couple of us haven't seen it, we won't jump in. But they're going to be short little discussions basically about different stuff. And just watch as much as you can. We're trying yeah. not to go too much into spoilers really. So we'll probably go through our top 10 of the year. Yeah, so don't worry too much about spoilers or anything. Just then, um, yeah, we'll do that. And our litter box are in the always in the description so you can always check those and check our 2020 list kind of watch anything that we haven't covered over yet that are on those lists because odds are we'll probably be talking about them well if it came out after the podcast started because there's some stuff in there like sonic the hedgehog or like visible woman well those are still in my 2020 list fizzle man <laughs> have you guys seen my radies yet definitely should though i should watch that wait watch that watch one night in miami yeah, you guys need to watch black bear other than that, um, I think that's basically it. I really got peace, so I'm uh I'll wrap this up. So All right. you guys can end the All podcast. Right. So um yeah, next week year wrap up from twenty twenty. Uh thanks for listening. Tone to the Grey Lakes podcast. Uh this is our review of Sound of Metal, Minari, and another round. Jacob's gotta go pee. Follow us on Twitter. It's in the bio at UTGL Pod. And also follow our letterbox accounts, which are also in the bio. Other than that, thanks for listening. See y'all in a couple weeks. Peace.